0: we love you you are awesome in your power you are high and supreme over all people and all things and all places and there is none like you we come to you this morning there are a lot of needs here represented in this room and father it's so easy sometimes for us to get focused on our needs and what we lack and we lose sight of the supplier you are the supplier You're worthy of all praise, all honor, all focus, all attention, all response to you, Lord, forever and ever. And I pray right now that, Lord, that you would come and that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives. Lord, that you would help us be good listeners to your voice, O Lord. So speak to us now. We love you, Lord. We need to hear every word that comes out of your mouth, and we're so thankful that you are a speaking God. You've spoken in the past, and you're still talking to us today, and we thank you for it. And we thank you for it in the exalted name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, on Thursday this week, there was an article that was published on a well-known food review website that began with this headline, is a Whopper really worth going to jail for? Uh, That was on eat.com if you want to fact check that. Uh, It it proceeded to share the story of how there were these two customers apparently uh, that assaulted a Burger King employee in Florida because they didn't get what they wanted just fast enough. Uh, Unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, stories like this. You can Google it. You can, you, you, they're all over the internet. You can find news stories about SWAT teams uh, that had shootouts at a Taco Bell over a 99-cent taco. Are you kidding me? This stuff really happens. You can watch YouTube videos of people that are punching out glass windows at the drive through because the restaurant was out of chicken nuggets, and they really wanted those chicken nuggets, and they were going to get those chicken nuggets. Uh, when you look at what we desire as humans... It's, it's crazy. It's crazy the stuff that we desire, that we crave. But even though in the moment it makes perfect sense. It, it is like, in that, I wonder what that guy's thinking. It, it made perfect sense to punch the window out of that drive through I mean, it, it, I, I had to have those. I, they deserve that. It's pretty obvious that as people we desire average things far too passionately. I mean, we rage for average things. 99-cent taco right now? And, and, and we passionately desire excellent things, superior things, wimpily, weakly. And this part of the prayer, Jesus is teaching us that we are to ask the Lord that our greatest desire would be for the rule of God to increase on the earth and for His will to be accomplished in our lives. That's to be our greatest desire. And as we'll see as we go through the Lord's Prayer, this prayer just starts, it just ramps up. Petition after petition, it just gets more and more intense. It's really kind of neat. As citizens of the kingdom, we ask the one we admire most to change what we desire the most. That's our prayer. This is a monster-sized prayer request, Crossway. It's huge, guys. It's massive. This prayer is summed up in four words. Lord, change my desires. That's it. Or as we see in the text, Lord, bring your kingdom. That's how you sum this whole thing up. And so what does that mean for you and for me? Well, it means a few things. First of all, it means that we pray that God's kingdom would become our identity. We pray that God's kingdom would be our identity. So the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's a really big thing and the theme in the Gospels. Okay? It's the message that Jesus proclaimed during his earthly ministries. You can look at this in Mark chapter 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the good news. So what is the gospel of the kingdom? What is this good news? Well, the simplest way to put it is that the kingdom is the rule of God in Christ. God's kingdom is anywhere that he is in control. And wherever he's in control, the blessing of his reign is experienced by those who repent and receive him. They've entered into his kingdom, so they get to experience those blessings. Now, I'm going to be Captain Obvious here for a minute, okay? But uh, I think it's important for us to start with a very simple observation about all this. Jesus' message of the kingdom implies that there's a king, right? Captain Obvious, okay? But we need to say this. It's hard for us to grasp this as Americans because our country is based on rebelling against a king. That's how we were founded. It's in in our DNA to completely reject monarchy and embrace democracy as the only way to live a good life. The only rulers that we like are the ones we can get out of office in a few years. Those are our kind of leaders. So the idea of Jesus being king over us forever and us being citizens in his kingdom isn't an altogether natural idea for us to identify with. It's actually more a natural for us to identify with other things like being an American or being from the Pacific Northwest, that's my identity, or being a Seahawks fan, right? Which, by the for the record, that's a great thing to identify with. Nothing wrong with that. But that can't be our central main identity, okay? And I'm going to tell you why, okay? Look at me. Look right at me. NFL teams move after 20 years in a town, okay? I'm just telling you as a former Rams fan, I'm not bitter. I'm just, I'm I'm here to help, all right? I'm just here to help. That cannot be your central identity marker, all right? Um, As followers of Christ, our first allegiance is to Christ And his kingdom, that is our fundamental identity underneath any and all other identities that we may have. This prayer that God's kingdom will come is partially a prayer that God would change our identity marker. That's what's happening when we come into the kingdom of God. We are literally asking God to cause us to identify as a citizen of his kingdom first and foremost. So, do you see why the request, th- th- this request comes after we hallow God's name? Because this is tough, right? You're telling me what my identity is going to be? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, see, we, I hallow the name of God. You are supreme, you are holy. You're altogether awesome over anything. And then we pray this. There's an order here. We are asking the one that we admire most to change what we desire most. As people who have been rescued by Christ, we want our desire to be for Christ to rule over us, to be our king. Guys, not our advisor, not our buddy not the one that merely helps us out when we're in a jam. Our king. It's our prayer that God would stop us from building our own kingdoms and instead that God would build his. This is the prayer request. So let's go uh, again in Matthew here, Matthew 13. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure. Picture that. Treasure's a good thing, right? Treasure makes you smile, right? King of Heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, then in his joy, not in his duty, not because he had to. What's the text say? Then, in his joy, he goes and get this sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? His possessions, nine tenths of the law, that's why. He wants to own that. He didn't want to own the field, he wants to own the treasure. Again, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, upon finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He sold out in his joy. He saw how valuable it was above anything else that does actually have value. This trumps all of that. This is superior to all of that. The best thing that could ever happen to us is for Christ to be our king. That is why we need to identify with that most deeply and most affectionately. And so our deepest desire is that to see his kingdom come. Well, this is kind of a strange request if you kind of think about it. I mean, after all, God rules now, doesn't he? I mean, he rules over all things in all places now. So, so why is Jesus teaching us to pray that his kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven? When Jesus is teaching us to pray that the kingdom would become a reality, both physically and spiritually, heaven and earth. We pray that God's kingdom would be a reality. The kingdom is the rule of God in Christ over all things and the blessings that come with that. So when, G- when Jesus came, he was not only teaching people about the kingdom through his sermons, but he was also showing them the kingdom through his actions. Again, staying in Matthew, Matthew twelve twenty eight. Jesus says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus' actions in casting out demons are showing that God is here. His kingdom, His kingship is real. It's a reality. When Jesus Jesus calms the tempest on the sea, he is restoring creation back to order as the one who created it in the first place. When he raises a dead boy back to life and returned him back to his mother, he is showing that he restores all things that death takes. When he forgives a man's sins, and then later he restores his legs, Jesus is showing that he's restoring the whole person Body and soul, back to God. Jesus is setting all things right that were wrong. That's what he's doing. Jesus is undoing all that sin and Satan has broken and destroyed. Jesus is making all the broken, evil things that people live with on a daily basis come untrue right before their eyes. That's good news. That's why he calls it the gospel. You can smile. That's good news, guys. And when he does these miraculous things, there is joy that replaces the weeping. Right? There is satisfaction instead of hunger. There is peace instead of anxiety. Jesus is basically saying, one day the kingdom will kind of look like this on earth. But better and worldwide. But what about now? How can we believe that God's kingdom is a reality when there's still hunger, there's still anger, there's still death, there's just still just flat-out foolishness all over the place? Well, we as Christians, we call this reality the already-not-yet kingdom. It's an already-not-yet tension that we live in. Sounds strange, huh? Well, we see this concept throughout scripture, and I'm going to give some examples. This came from a guy named Sam Storm. He's a a pastor and a scholar uh, that wrote, wrote this up uh, here's some examples we have been adopted now into God's family as his children but our adoption is yet to come that's 1st John 3 1 and Romans eight I'll read just read these for you 1st John 3 see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are already Eight, uh, Romans 8.23, check this out. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, as we wait eagerly for adoption, as sons, the redemption of our body. That's the not yet fully. Already? Not yet. Salvation is now, but it's also future. That's Ephesians 2.8 and Romans 5.10. We have been raised with Christ, but the resurrection is also yet future. That's Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 6, and then 1 Corinthians 15. That's the not yet, the already, not yet fully. We have been glorified already, but we will be glorified. That's Romans 8.30 and Philippians 3, the not yet fully. Regenerate believers are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Yet we also await the new heavens and earth at the return of Jesus. That's the not yet fully part. You see, this is all throughout scripture, guys. Matthew even explains this already not yet reality of the kingdom in this way. Matthew 13, And Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. That's a lot of flour, by the way. She hid it in three measures of flour till it was all leavened christ's kingdom is a reality and that it has broken into history but not fully not yet so we wait eagerly as paul says in romans 8 and how do we wait how does he say we pray for the kingdom to fully come that's what jesus is teaching us to do We pray that God would gradually work the yeast of the gospel throughout the whole world, that it might spread. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed and received by faith, the rule of God has come to reign in that person's life. He is the king of their life. The kingdom is working its way through the dough, guys. It's amazing. As followers of Christ, our great desire is that God's kingdom would be made visible. That we would be able to see this. We want our mothers and our fathers and our friends and our neighbors and everyone to experience the blessing of living in the kingdom of God. In fact, we want this for ourselves. We want to experience this for ourselves, don't we? And so well, how does this happen? Well, that leads to the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God's will be done in our lives. God's kingdom is visibly manifested in us first. This is the root of the entire Lord's Prayer. It's, it's actually a Lordship prayer, guys. We are the visible witness... Of the kingdom to a watching, and frankly, a skeptical world that doesn't believe this. R.C. Sproul in his book on the Lord's Prayer makes this really helpful statement. I read this, I thought, wow, this really is, is helpful. I want to share this with you guys. He says, John Calvin said it's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that bears witness to the reality of the kingdom of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, even our paychecks, because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifested in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens and subjects of the king. This is how Matthew puts it when he quotes Jesus in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then stick it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Here's why. That they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, glorify your Father that's in heaven. He's invisible. They can't see Him ruling and reigning. They can't see the Father, right? They can see you. You're visible. Is this making sense? This is what we are, what makes Christ's kingdom visible to people. People say, where's God's kingdom? This world's in chaos. This world's full of evil and death. Show me where Jesus is king. Show me where he is obeyed on the earth. And the church says, here. Here. Among His true believers. Are we imperfect? Sure. We're real imperfect. Sure, there's fakers among the bunch, and one day the wheat will be separated from the weeds. But it's among the true believers of Christ that His rule is made visible. That's what manifest means. You can see it, hear it, touch it. This is what it means to witness for Christ. A religious person prays like this, God, your will be done, and my will be done. Amen. And you work those out. This is how a citizen of the kingdom of heaven prays. Father, here are my desires. But my deepest desire is to live the way you prescribe to live. How do you want me to live in your kingdom? When people come to Crossway or they talk to us at school or at work, wherever we are, they should go away thinking you know what? Those people are different. They're different. They, they really, like, actually desire to live the way God prescribes. And they're, gl- they're, like, glad about it. That's weird. They should be thinking that way about us. And so how can we pray that his will be done instead of my will? Well, we must believe that God is a good king. Does that make sense? That's the only way that, like, you pray this prayer. So deep down in your heart, you believe he's actually a good king. It's all good and well to ask for God's kingdom to come, like, out there somewhere in eastern Washington, right? That'd be great. But it's an entirely different thing for for that to happen here. In us, here in me. The only way that we can ask for God's kingdom to come for his will to be done in our life is if we're profoundly certain that he is good and he is trustworthy. And you know what is interesting guys? Jesus knew that you and I would have real trust issues with God. Like he knew that about us. Isn't that neat? Like Jesus knew that when push came to shove, we were not going to give up our will and obey the Father. He knew that we'd dig on our heels, we'd demand our own way right away. And so you know what? In his love and his kindness, Jesus did something for us. He gave up his will to the Father because he knew that we wouldn't want to do that. We couldn't do that. Jesus knew that we wouldn't pray for the Father's will to be done in our marriage or in our career or in how we deal with insults or how we speak to one another. I mean, we give lip service to that. But when it came down to the moment of truth, he knew that we would pray for our will to be done. So you know what? Jesus prayed that prayer for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did. Look at Matthew 26. And going a little further. Th- guys, this is, a, this is like before he dies. This is before he's crucified, Okay? It's about to get even darker for him, as dark as it was. He says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. This is amazing, isn't it? Jesus prays the ultimate monster prayer of trust that you and I couldn't bear to pray. We couldn't bring ourselves to pray this kind of prayer at this time in our life. And he prays it for us? This is incredible, guys. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? It's so that we could see how trustworthy the Father is, and then we could pray it. That's why. Peter writes this. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, made visible in the last times for the sake of you, Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? Here's the why. So that your hope and faith are in God. Jesus trusted that the Father's will was the best for him. Even though it cost him his life to trust him. That God raised Jesus back to life and glorified him. And here's what that means for us. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension, the glorification of Jesus means for us. It means that Jesus lost nothing by trusting the Father. That's what it means. He lost nothing by trusting the Father. Not only did he not lose anything, Peter says that God glorified him. That means that he ended up even better off than he was before. Peter says that Jesus did this not for his sake, but for your sake. And my sake is why he did it. Jesus already knew how trustworthy the Father was. He was foreknown from the beginning of time, right? He already knew that. You and I were the ones that needed to be convinced. You and I were the one who didn't know that and needed to be persuaded. God really is trustworthy. He really is a good king. That's why he did this. Jesus did it to visibly show us, not in our minds, not in a feeling. This was physical. This was historical. Jesus visibly did this to show us that God really is, after all, a trustworthy king. You can trust his rule over your life. God's will really is for your ultimate good. And we can trust him with our life. When we get that, we want to pray this prayer. We will pray this. So pray that his kingdom would come fully. Pray that you would give up control and that his will would be done in your life as it is in heaven. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you, okay? Hmm. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for, (laughs) thank you for showing us how trustworthy the Father is. You knew it all along, we didn't. And thank you for showing us so that we could trust him with our whole life. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come Uh, your rule is good you make wrong things right you make broken things better than they ever were you restore everything that's been destroyed so we want to see that more and more work that yeast through the dough we pray God and open up hearts to the gospel open up our hearts to the good news of the gospel that you are the king and you're a good king you're a trustworthy king So God, I just pray that you would do your work that only you can do right now through your spirit in our hearts. You would change our desires. Would you change our desires as a church? Would you change my desires, the stuff that I want? And I just confess to you, I don't want the right things, Lord, a lot. (laughs) I want things that are really temporary, things that hurt me but you have better for me. So would you change my desires to want your will? We love you, God. Thank you for your grace and your truth. We need them both. Amen.